Hey guys, it's Kelly, and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken Podcast. I know I haven't posted an episode in a few days, but boy, did I need a break. And as always, when I need a break, I don't even realize exactly how much of a break I need until I take it. It has been a very rough weekend and a very rough day, to say the least. Uh, Panic attacks are pretty bad. Nightmares are absolutely horrendous. And the memories and questions about everything, my life, my past is just uh, astronomical, I guess. I don't know. I'm not very good with big words. But quick update on the trial is I haven't exactly been reading updates on the trial i'm hoping to get caught up over the next few days but there was a tweet that i had read this morning that came from a pretty legit source i trust her she's done a lot of work in the whole epstein maxwell saga has books and she's god so she had shared about some testimony i think it was I don't know if it was civil or during this case, but she had brought up um, how this victim had gone with Maxwell and Epstein to a super exclusive uh, viewing of the Lion King at Radio City Hall. I was there. It was in 1994. I was about 11 years old. And... God, I can't remember how I got there to New York. I can't remember how I got home, where we stayed, if we spent the night. Like, all those details are extremely fuzzy. What I do remember is watching the movie. I mean, sitting in Radio City Hall at the very beginning scene with the elephant just stomping was just so unbelievable like you could feel it through your body it was insane so I mean I was there and I know I was and it was so weird because it was like it was pretty exclusive only a very I mean I think it was just a couple of days that it actually was airing there or whatever you want to call it and I was told that my aunt had gotten us the tickets And that she was, I mean, she was like a manager of the Disney store. So that's how she was able to get them. So it just kind of like opened my mind and got me to remembering a lot of my time in New York City. And I always traveled there. I never actually lived there. Not that I can recall anyways. But this grandfather that I have found out is not my actual grandfather is who I was told that I would go with. He brought me to see this amazing show called Bring In The Noise, Bring In The Funk, which was amazing. It was a Broadway show. Um, I can't really remember what all of it was about, but it was like tap dancing and they were using drums and, you know, different things like that. There was no music. It was all them making the noise. And 
I also was brought there to see ballets and operas, like so many different things. And I was a teenager through most of this. I was young. And I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know if it means that this person that I believed was my grandfather was actually a client or if he was somebody else, somebody more prominent. I don't know. So it's like, I'll bring it up with my therapist, obviously, and kind of work on it. But it's like sitting here, like, I can't remember how I got there. I can't remember, again, where I spent the night or how I got home. I just remember the show. I mean, I saw Swan Lake. And I was a ballerina for so long. So that was, like, huge for me. I saw Les Mis and a couple other operas. I think it was uh, Madame's Butterfly or something like that. I mean, it was great. It was great to see those shows. But it's like now they're tainted because I don't know who it was that brought me to see them. I mean, the grandfather that I knew was a pastor of... I want to say it was a Protestant church. It might have been a Lutheran. I think it was Protestant. Um, definitely Christian. So how did he have the money for all of that? You know, so there's a lot of questions there. Like, again, one little tiny memory surfaces and then a bunch of little fragments of memory surface. And then there's like a thousand questions that I have. And I don't know how to answer them. And I don't even know where to begin, to be honest. Because, again, I don't have the same luxury as a lot of people do where they can just go ask somebody. I don't have any family that I can trust, that I can go to. Because I still haven't heard back from the aunt that I talked to months ago asking and basically saying like you knew the people that my parents were why didn't anyone tell me I was living there with two daughters so that I think it just kind of explains exactly how isolated victims are even if it's their own family that's doing the sex trafficking you would think and i mean i thought it for the longest time but you would think that they would have someone that they could go to when they have these memories surface and be like hey i remember this it's kind of wishy-washy you know what do you think it means do you remember anything but i don't have that luxury i don't have that kind of support system so it sucks so it's just this thing that kind of just hangs there and I don't know what to do with that I don't know who this man that kept bringing me to New York City when I was a young preteen into my young teenage years to go to all these lavish shows that I mean I don't really think that was kind of normal for a kid my age. At least the people that I talked to and, you know, had explained this to today, they all basically agreed, like, this might have been something more. 
Now this grandfather, I remember spending the night at his house, but I don't ever remember my brothers spending the night there. I don't remember anything bad happening, but I also don't remember anything good happening. I just don't know why I was spending the night at his house if he really wasn't my grandfather. Now, the only way that I know, and the only thing I know about that is when I did the DNA testing, there was only one person that had his name and he had no children of his own. So clearly there was no way he could be my grandfather. And my mom had two sisters. So, I mean, I get some people have a secret life, but this man lived in a state that was very far away from where I lived. So the secret life thing, yeah, seems less plausible than this man maybe being a client. And honestly, it's like earth shattering because I, I only, like I thought he was the only person that had my back because he cut ties when my father was arrested. And I mean, CPS got called and a lot of crazy stuff happened after my dad got arrested. And I just always held on to the hope that, you know, my grandfather did that, but if he was a client, that would explain why he disappeared out of our lives. But the weird thing is, is one of my aunts that I know was a victim. I mean, she lived at my house for a brief period of time when I was stationed with my husband. And she was so terrified, like so terrified. And I don't want to put too much of her stuff out there, but... I mean, every car that drove by, like, she was terrified that it was my father. And she's never really held stuff back. I mean, when I was a child, she did. But, you know, how exactly do you explain this stuff to a child? But there's still that bit of resentment that I have with her because I feel like she knew who my parents were. She should have and could have protected me. And chose not to and let the fear for her life kind of overwhelm the importance of a child which I just totally disagree with hey that's her that's not me but the the thing is that's weird is right around the time this man died she gave me his phone number and told me to call him and I couldn't get through, obviously. I left a message and I never got a call back. And the person that I was told is my grandfather, I have proof that man is still alive. So I was told my grandfather was dying and that he passed away about 10 years ago. And here I find out that he was alive at least last year, which kind of explains why I haven't been able to find an obituary or a death record or anything like that. So this is kind of just the stuff that's getting brought up with this case. Um, what was entered into evidence on Friday was video of when the police raided Epstein's West Palm Beach house. And it was just like, 
It was so crazy, the similarities in the way that it was decorated. I mean, like, right down to the black and white checkered kitchen floors. I mean, we had those in our house, which could mean nothing, could be some kind of sign of something, who really knows. But the pictures, that's what's got me, is the pictures. So he had pictures of children and women in let's just say obscene pictures of them um definitely child pornography and just not kinds of pictures that you would put up of women i had similar pictures like that in my home but they weren't of a bunch of women they were of me and there was also a picture found outside of Jeffrey Epstein's bedroom with um, Glenn and Eva Dubin's daughter. And she was, we'll just say it was child pornography. So I know what those pictures were used for, for me. And that was for shame and secrecy. So I didn't invite people over because obviously I didn't want people to see them. And it was all about power. I mean, it wasn't just about the perversion of having these kinds of pictures. It was about power and control of the people that were in the pictures. So... If that's what was the intention of those two putting up these pictures, and I mean they were everywhere, all over the house, like filled up the tables in bathrooms and bedrooms, then that's what their intention was. I can't speak to that, but I can speak to why it was used at my home. And the pictures at my home were used for intimidation and shame and for me to further keep the secrets and to make sure that I didn't bring people into the home because of the shame and the secrets and everything like that. So that's another thing that has kind of just been bringing up a lot for me. (sighs) It has been really hard. I knew that the trial was going to be hard and I knew that it was going to affect me. I just don't think I was prepared for it to per to sorry, to affect me this way. Um I'm in a spin, I feel like sometimes. My husband is more than supportive. He's amazing. My friends are kind of distant, but hey, I don't know if I would wouldn't be as distant as they are if the situations were reversed. I mean, this is kind of the type of thing where you really don't know what to say to someone and you always feel like you're saying the wrong thing. But to be honest, I just need a distraction. I need to stop thinking. And the only way to do that is to kind of, you know, just shoot the shit with somebody. So if any of y'all are listening, which I doubt you are, but If you are, that's what I need. I know you don't know what to say, but sometimes you just don't need to say anything. But it's been difficult. I'm trying. I'm really trying to get through this episode. I am shaking right now. I'm starting to feel like I can't breathe. Like the panic attack is coming on. (sighs) 
this is this is how it is because like I said in previous episodes like this sets the tone and all of us I mean I know a couple of survivors feel similar to me like we're just sitting here and we are holding our breaths waiting to see what happens and from a wonderful woman I follow on TikTok I found out that the judge is not allowing these pictures that I just spoke about to be brought into evidence, which is nuts. I mean, come on. They've got pictures of their victims all over the house without any clothes on. Children, even. How is that not relevant? I don't know. So... We'll see how that plays out. We'll see how that goes. I don't know if that's something that can be brought up later. Whatever. But um, this is rough. It's really hard. And it's hard to admit weakness. It's hard to admit that I'm struggling. And it's hard to admit that, you know what? I laid in bed most of the morning just crying staring at a wall and saying to myself over and over again, I'm not okay because I'm not. (laughs) I just, I'm trying and I'm really trying and that's, I guess, the best that I can do. So I'm hoping that tomorrow I can kind of read up on the updates and kind of go over all of the facts and everything that was testified Um, over the past few days that I missed because I think I left off at like day three, day four, something like that. Um, I know I didn't do day five or today, but I'm trying to keep up with the case because it's important. Because like I said, this is like the first real time that we've had a sex trafficker up in court and, you know facing trial so it's important I'm gonna go guys I hate to leave it there I feel like this is so abrupt but I want to get this episode out and I just I can't hold back this panic attack and I feel some flashbacks coming on so I'm gonna leave it there I'm gonna do some research tomorrow hopefully I'll be in a little bit better state of mind Um, and I will give you guys some updates on everything. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your love and support. And I'm sorry that this is kind of, you know, I don't know what word to use, but this is just how it goes sometimes. You know, you sit down, you think you're strong enough to talk about something and then you find out that you're not. And the only way to find out is to start talking about it. So I'm going to go and try to get myself together. And I will talk to y'all soon. Thanks for the continued love and support. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.